Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, business leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of Story IQ, Dominic Bohan. And today we're going to hear about the advantages and dangers of using AI to analyze data. Joining us again today is George Davis, founder and CEO at Frame AI, which is a customer experience focused AI platform that sifts through individual conversations with customers to reveal actionable, bottom-line customer insights. Yesterday, George and I talked about understanding unstructured customer interaction data. Today, we're going to continue our conversation and discuss the advantages and dangers of using AI to analyze data. Okay, here's my conversation with George Davis, the founder and CEO at Frame AI. So George, yesterday we talked about unstructured customer interaction data, we had some really compelling stories uh, about all the awesome things that we can do with that data. So I think today it could be fun to start with the dark side, the dangers of using AI to analyze customer data. Thanks, Dominic. There's a lot of opportunity in using AI for customer data, but there's also many, many ways to do some harm. So I'm glad we'll be talking about that as well. Cool. Let's talk about some of the ways that using AI to analyze data can go astray. Well, one of the things I think might be helpful kind of at the start of discussing of discussing that is to distinguish between the two important types of going astray. There are a lot of ways for efforts to use data to create value to fail. And we talked about some of those in the last episode. I think, you know, two of the ones that are very, you know, important for us to keep an eye on. One thing is there's a lot you know, the huge advantage of AI is that it makes a lot of, of data and insight accessible that just wasn't accessible before. You couldn't afford to read every customer service conversation from every possible perspective in order to, you know, generate some kind of analysis of what people care about. But an AI can do that for you. That causes people to get really excited about the, uh, the unknown unknowns. You know, what do I not know about my own data? And that's a great sort of motivation that curiosity can lead to discovering a lot of opportunities, but it's a bad way to frame a project because if you don't root any kind of data exploration in a business objective, then you won't know whether you've succeeded or worse yet, you'll find something that's important that you can't act on. And that's one of the ways we talked about for data-driven projects to fail. There's a lot more that we can discuss in terms of, you know, no data model is perfect and businesses, you need to think hard about what types of errors you can tolerate and which types you can't. One of the things that we do at Frame is we look a lot for use cases where there sort of can be found value. It's very hard when you're dealing with a wide, many different kinds of customer data to be very confident about catching 99% of the cases that you care about. However, you can find a lot of ways to use your data where every case you catch is valuable. And therefore, catching only 30% of them is still potentially something that unlocks a lot of value for your business. So 
kind of taking on projects and thinking about the outcomes from data exploration and data analysis, you know, in a way that gives you, there's ways to set yourself up for success from the perspective of finding and creating value incrementally. I'll tackle one more final way of one more thing that's very important. We can go deeper on any of these in terms of planning for success. The mistake we see all the time, you know, we very often interact with customers who have already built data pipelines like the ones we discussed in the last episode. There are many data professionals out there who are working on projects where they connect to multiple data systems, use AI to analyze the data and to tag it, then use different kinds of, then plug that into a model that predicts something and feeds that to some sort of process that exists. That's a motion that a lot of businesses are getting good at. But a lot of times they think of that as a one and done project. A lot of times people build those projects and they build those pipelines. They fight hard for the time of the data engineering team that's going to work on that project. And then when they're done, they deliver it and they hope for the best. Maybe they measure success or not. But we run into a vast graveyard of projects that get released. They work for a little bit, then they stop meeting the needs and they get forgotten. So being able to plan to iterate, a lot of the reasons we built Frame in order to productize those pipelines was to make it very possible to iterate on your pipeline after you developed it and lower that cost and make it possible for business users to actually refine the way they were using those, their data. So everything I just talked about, we can dive deeper into any of those. Those are some of the, those are my top three for ways that data projects to get value out of unstructured data can fail from a business perspective. You know, they can fail because you don't plan for iteration. They can fail because you didn't have a business objective in mind at the beginning. So those are my top two in terms of ways that businesses can embark on, business, on data projects and fail from a business perspective. Another important thing to think about is ways that you can do unintentional harm mm -hmm. by using AI. So we all need to understand that its basis, most AI technology at this point just can't be inclusive in most of the ways we would like it to be. So. When we train a large language model to understand text, those we're relying on text that's publicly available. And that means that the large language model is much more experienced and better at understanding text that's generated by some kinds of people than others. Mm. So you may find that you systematically have a harder time identifying, labeling things that are happening in groups that use a different dialect or who have, uh, you know, present a problem from a different angle, et cetera. And the only cure, you know, I, I don't think that's a reason not to embark on data projects, but it is a reason to put conscious effort into measuring and addressing ways to make the value that you're generating for your customers more inclusive. How do we do that? Also, maybe we can do a simple example that people will be familiar with, which is just the language itself. So based on my understanding, most of the big, large language models out there have had way more training in a corpus of English language content. So if we're working with, presumably most businesses are working with customers across a wide range of languages, how can they do that well? Yeah, it's a great point, Dominic. And it's something we run into all the time. I, I think the trade-offs, it's both the fact that the large language models themselves are trained more on English. It's also that often businesses have more, you know, even those that work globally and that have multi-language customer support they very often have more of their communications in English than anywhere else because it's so it's such a common piece. So it's very common for us to run into businesses that are only optimizing for their English speakers. There's an economic decision that businesses have to make about how they think about you know, data projects that target 
outside of the the narrowest majority <laughs> that they can that they can approach. What we try to advise businesses is to think about the economic rewards each in their own pocket, because then you can identify, hey, if all you have room for is to prioritize one project, you're very likely to end up prioritizing a project for English because it's just going to have the most uh, economic bang for the buck. But if you allocate, you know, the opportunity and you find people to work towards uh, the towards uh, that are kind of have dedicated KPIs for other populations, then you can find ways to work around a lot of the limitations of the current models. So, you know, every model, every large language model requires some amount of domain adaptation to do a good job in analyzing data. And one of the things we've done at Frame is really invest in making tuning those models much more possible. You can use that tuning process to overcome some of the weaknesses in model training and catch, you know, more specific dialogue patterns that happen in specific languages. So, you know, we had a business that as a good example, we had a healthcare business, a healthcare insurance business that we worked with that, you know, as you can imagine, they need to service people from all over the world. They, although it's a US-based business, they need to be able to prepare to interact with people who are in distress in many different languages. And we were able to identify one of the things that we were doing for them was we were helping them identify when you're providing, when you're helping route people to medical services, it's very important that you have up-to-date information on providers and who can serve where. And we helped them identify clusters of complaints where there were particular regions where that data might be out of date. And so they were able to very rapidly say, oh, hey, in this one particular part of Florida, we have lots of people saying they can't find a certain kind of doctor. It's not because there aren't that kind of doctor. It's because the database is off. And they were able to correct those problems much faster in a matter of days instead of weeks. Well, when we got to the second stage, everybody was ready to declare victory on that. But when you analyze that same issue more deeply, you start to see we were detecting that very reliably in the English-speaking populations, and there's regions where a substantial number of those conversations were happening in Spanish. And it took identifying that as a priority and spending some time fine-tuning the models for that particular population in order to be addressing that same level of, of insight. So that's not a simple fix. It's one that requires investment. But I think that's how this works. I think if you want to be inclusive, you have to make an investment in it. And the best thing to do is to understand the necessity for that at the beginning of a project rather than after you've gone down the wrong road. Mm, makes sense. So is it fair to say that with a language like Spanish, that has a huge number of speakers, we can still get great insights about our customers if we put in the effort? Yes, I would say that uh, this is, you know, when I began my AI career, that was not as much the case. You know, today, the cutting edge large language models do have really substantial multi-language corpuses. Will you have the same level of accuracy that you have on English? Not necessarily. And if you're doing something like using these, you know, if, if you're in an area that has huge impacts on equity overall, like making credit decisions, then you have to pay a lot of special attention to how those factors might influence your decision making process. But we're definitely at a point where for most languages, I'd say for like the 16 most spoken languages around the world, which covers a giant percentage of the world population in terms of people who can speak there, AI can definitely add value to commercial interactions in all 16 of those languages at this point. Okay, that's great news. So unintentional harm, we've talked about lack of inclusivity. We went deep into languages, but I think most of our listeners will be aware of the other ways that certain groups are overrepresented in the training data sets and that if we're not careful, we could neglect other groups that are important. And so what other unintentional harm can come from using AI without thinking critically about it? Well, I'd say that one of the 
you know, every business that's looking at AI solutions is wading into a very complicated area in terms of privacy and data governance right now. You know, in particular, there's huge trade-offs between the apparent ease of use of sharing your data with external platforms versus attempting to run AI solutions yourselves. And then what you might be doing in terms of giving away personal identifiable information and so on. And, you know, when you're working with unstructured data, you basically always have to assume that it might be sensitive data. People, you know, they talk about all kinds of things, even in customer support conversations where you wouldn't expect them to. And it's both a regulatory requirement in many places and also just an ethical requirement to be careful with that data and to use it only for the purpose. You know, one of the reasons I like doing this work within a customer support context and a customer experience context is that customers expect to be listened to and analyzed. It's understood to be a public conversation, but that doesn't mean that they want their data shared with a third party. So the frames approach to that, you know, any business that's built to help understand customer data needs to be very conscious of these factors in how it how it works and how it deploys and how it meets regulatory requirements. Our approach to that is we, although we do offer our product as a SaaS platform and we do have, you know, we, we meet high security standards, SOC 2, Type 2, et cetera. For some of our largest customers, we find that it's necessary to deploy inside their environment and give them complete control of their data so that the, their customer's data is never being shared with a party that they didn't agree to have it shared with, including us. So that's something that I would say it's easy in the name of rapidly adopting AI solutions to skip the steps of being very, very careful about where your data is coming from and where it's going. And there are solutions, including ours, but also others that are aware and can offer you ways to be to have to exercise good governance over your customers data. OK, so privacy and data government. So we talked about the need to not have that data used in a way that wasn't consented to, not shared with third parties. What about we're allowed to use the data, it's our data. Are there certain things that we shouldn't use it for? I've heard some horror stories of people, sorry, organizations discovering insights about their customers and using it to target them in ways that were very shocking and upsetting to those customers. How do we make sure that doesn't happen? You know, there's a joke that there could be unsupervised machine learning, but there should never be unsupervised machine learning applications. So. It's a little machine learning joke. Unsupervised machine learning is clustering and other things where you don't have examples of what you're looking for, but you find it anyway. But the point being, when you're using AI to do automated things, and this is a place where a lot of companies get into trouble with chatbots and other systems you know, it's, that are have enormous potential but are hard to control at the cutting edge. When you let AI interact directly with a customer, you need to think very hard about the limitations of that interaction and how well aligned and how well how well can that AI really understand what's going to be upsetting to a customer or not? Most of what we do at Frame is about using AI to surface patterns in the data that humans make decisions about. You know, we do in some cases help with automated interactions, like adding customers to different segments. But a lot of times we're doing things like bringing alerts to particular managers that need to understand a pattern that's emerging in their data. And having a human make that call about what that outreach to customers is going to be can solve a lot of those problems, right? And at that point, it's a human problem about whether your own marketing team, for example, is being sort of trained with the right ethical principles to not outreach to people in ways that are offensive or harmful to them. So I, would, I, I guess that's a long way of saying don't take your hands off the wheel. Designing AI interactions and products, keep the humans in the loop until you're very confident about how you've limited it, because 
AI alignment is not a problem we've solved yet. You know, we're, we're getting better and better at it. But uh, the bottom line is that large language models do say things that are you know, both distressing and potentially harmful to people. And so you better be willing to intermediate that. Yes. <laughs> and so I think it's obvious that we are getting better and better at AI alignment. Do you think we're keeping pace with the improvements in AI? Are we getting better fast enough to be able to keep it under control? You know, I, I do. I'm, I, you know, if we if we take a step back in like the AI landscape, obviously, I mean, I've I've been in this field for years. I'm highly biased. But I think it's a beautiful time to be alive. I think we are doing something that's amazing as a civilization by, you know, exploring what is thought. I think AI is a great tool for us to explore that. I think I hope that even while people, there are many, many very reasonable reasons to be worried about AI. I hope in the middle of that, people can also enjoy some optimism and some pride that, you know, we're living through a time where these amazing things are being created. I do not believe the, you know, I'm not somebody who believes in a risk of a rogue AI. The thing that we have to be most careful about is whether AI capabilities augment the worst of human potential, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, is it possible that you gave an example of this? Businesses might choose to use AIs to target their customers in ways that are harmful. Just to make it a bit clearer to our listeners, I think the example that comes to mind here that many of us may be familiar with, you may have heard of this one, is a young woman that was pregnant and her family didn't know that she was pregnant and Target had collected all of these signals indicating that and started targeting her with products for baby related stuff. I remember that, Dominic. And what's very interesting about that story, I think that's about nine or 10 years old now. So that's that's actually that was definitely machine learning definitely an ai a case of ai harms but it was something that was possible with the state of the art of sort of analyzing customer mm. transaction data uh at that point there are certainly more if that was possible 10 years ago just by looking at what somebody had been working, <laughs> it's really right. true to say and, and you know we work with organizations like the trevor project which is a crisis line for at-risk youth you know there are so many situations where there are customers in very difficult situations who in any interaction, whether it's a customer service interaction with a random brand or somebody else might say something that is important to them, but is private to them about their identity. Part of that comes back to the types of privacy that we talked about before. You know, again, I would say that it comes down to having some human and ethical human supervision on what we're going to use these technologies for. If somebody had been careful about, you know, imagining the consequences of targeted advertising in general there at Target 10 years ago, you know, that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened in the form that it mm, It comes back to your earlier tip of keep the humans in the loop. Don't let a uh, machine learning model or AI model loose <laughs> to go and talk to your customers without overseeing it. Yes. And I think, you know, I think it's very tempting to focus, you know, we sometimes talk about the differences between AI can be used for automation. Uh, there's a lot of focus on using AI directly with your customers because the potential for ROI seems so high, right? We have millions and millions of customer interactions. And if AI have added value to each of them, that would be great. I understand that from a business perspective. That is also where the biggest business risk lives. Many businesses over the next 10 years will move too fast on automation use cases. They may cause problems in the way that you described by having unintended consequences directly impact their customers. They may cause problems with their own workforce. You know, we talked to a major financial services provider that was considering 
How many of their contact center staff will they still have in a few years? Well, if you move very quickly on automation and you believe too much in the earliest wins that you have in it, you might fire that staff too quickly. You might end up damaging the company culture, getting rid of people who know more about how to understand and work with your customers. And you might find out over time that those data-driven solutions, while they generated short-term ROI, ended up having long-term problems. So we advise people who are thinking about AI solutions, don't just think about automation. Think about augmentation. How can you use AI to make your workers better? That's the humans staying in the loop. And then at the level that we talk about it, we're often talking about orchestration, which is not just helping individual humans do their jobs better, but helping whole teams work together by moving data from one team to another. If you focus a little bit on those other opportunities, I think that you'll find cases where there's still enormous ROI to be generated and a lot less opportunity for unintended risks. Thanks, George. That sounds very wise and sober. It's nice to hear compared to all of the influencers and thought leaders out there talking about how amazing AI is and sometimes overselling it and saying you should be automating everything. So it's good to hear a sober, rational voice talking about AI in this way. So if we can recap this episode. So it was initially about the advantages and dangers of AI, and we've gone fully negative here into the dangers, but I think you've done an incredible job in the previous episode about understanding customer interaction data of telling us all the wonderful things that we can do with AI. So in terms of the dangers, we've talked about where it can fail to actually deliver any value for a business. And the biggest causes are a failure to iterate and adapt and a failure to think through the business objectives and whether something is merely interesting versus whether you're actually going to be able to do anything with these insights. And then we looked at the unintended harms that AI can do. So we talked about a lack of inclusivity in many of these models, many groups underrepresented in this training data. That can cause big problems. So it's something we've got to keep top of mind. And finally, we talked about privacy and data governance Making sure that data that wasn't consented to being shared isn't shared with the wrong people and third parties. And then lastly, we talked about ethical ways to use it and keeping humans in the loop, not blindly trusting these machines so that we can make sure we don't do unintentional harm and uh, shock and disappoint our customers. That's an amazing summary, Dominic. It's been a pleasure speaking about it. And I hope that through all of those dangers, it also comes out, you know, the high level of optimism. You know, we've all been through multiple hype cycles of AI, but I will say this time is different. We've made the progress that's happening is so rapid and so exciting. I think the advantages speak for themselves and it's fair for all of us who are investing in it to have one foot on the brake while we also put on the gap. <laughs> Both feet at the same time or alternating. It's like a constant uh, stop start traffic, maybe. Yeah, I, I go through a lot of brake pads. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cool. George, thanks for sharing your expertise with us today on the Data Driven Podcast. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Uh -huh.